Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Bud Elliott. I'm Chip Patterson here to get your weekend started right. We're digging into the big old bag of mail. Reminder, if you want to get in on a future mailbag episode, you can do so by leaving a five-star review and then include your question. And if we don't get to it right away, that doesn't mean it's gone. In fact, uh, there are some questions that, listen, if everybody knows the roles we play on this, Bud, like, there are Bud questions, there are Tom questions, there are Danny questions, you know, and so sometimes we're able to position perfectly uh, placed ones uh, like some recruiting questions that we're going to be getting to a little bit later on. We've also got some good reaction from our coaching draft as some of these listeners do have some suggestions, but uh, I wanted to begin with something that's not a, a an exact uh, listener question as much as it is the uh, just uh, a Piece of content that we have talked about. Dennis Dodd was on our show last week. He mentioned Scott Frost being one of the most interesting coaches in terms of the hot seat picture. His hot seat rankings are up on CBSSports.com right now. And he has singled out nine coaches that are on the hottest seats. Scott Frost leads that list. It also includes Justin Fuente from Virginia Tech, Randy Edsel from UConn, Herm Edwards from Arizona State, Ed Orgeron from LSU, Jim Harbaugh from Michigan, Clay Helton at USC, Walt Bell from UMass, and uh, Dana Dimel from UTEP. So I will ask you sort of the same question that we started with with Dennis when, when you're looking across that list, and I know that you've had some conversations with agents and, you know, you've got your own uh, sources within the, the coach industry and the coaching community, you know, which of those names uh, stands out to you as, you know, either significant or, or ones that fans should really be keeping an eye on? You know, this is interesting. I, first of all, I think you got to give Dennis some real props here. A lot of times I, I look at these coaches hot seat rankings and I'm just kind of, they seem kind of clickbaity, but I feel like Dennis uh, is, is, Dennis is notable for uh, apologies, a little autoplay video there. Hope the audience didn't pick that up. Dennis is is notable for, I think, being pretty reserved in this. He doesn't give out a whole lot of fives, right? I mean, he only gave three fives with Scott Frost, obviously a change in athletic director there at Nebraska. Um, It's hard to fire a native son. He is one of these coaches whose first year was in the first year of the early signing period. That's something I've I've chronicled a lot. I think, uh, is a significant hindrance to anybody hired in 2018, uh, like he was. But obviously, you got to win. Um, you know, win now every fired category. Justin Fuente. I mean, when when the Hokies called that press conference to announce uh, some news about their coaching future, all the beat media there expected them to announce that Fuente was fired. And they're like, actually, no. It's uh, it's about the the signing class we just had. We're just going to have a press conference about it. So, who knows what was going on behind the scenes there? 
like I don't know enough about the Randy Edsel situation, so I'm going to trust Dennis on that. That it's a five. It would seem you know reasonable. The one I'm interested in, I, I, I think some of these could be like, is it appropriate for Herm Edwards to be a four? To me, he's either like a five or a one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because right? it's all scandal related. Yeah, like, like, like he's not. Hey, start improving now. It's beat the rap or don't. <laughs> you know what I mean, it, it's not really. With with Ed Orgeron, he he went from a zero rating to a four. I think that speaks to kind of the some of the turmoil that they had, you know, last year, right? Well, um, so let's. I, I was going to mention Orgeron because I, I want to know how quickly winning can change, can can smooth all that over, right? Because there is an expectation that with the talent in place, the ceiling for LSU is as high as anybody in the country. You know the a top peak performance 2021 LSU Tigers team might not win the SEC championship, but probably shouldn't lose many games if they are operating at peak performance. And so for Coach O, like I I could see a, a nine and three season that sort of keeps things moving along the path. Obviously, who who those three losses are to, how they come, all these things are very important. Not all nine and threes look alike, but I I wonder right now if, you know, looking at the turmoil, looking at the turnover uh, in that LSU program, I don't, I tend to think that that one, we keep forcing it along towards it being a coaching change and a Gene Chiswick situation. And I'm not quite ready to buy that this is a Gene Chiswick situation. I I agree with you. I I think this is an important year uh, for LSU, but I'm not completely convinced that Ed Orgeron is a Gene Chiswick type coach. Last year was concerning. But there were also games in which they only had 50-something players eligible to play due, due to COVID and you know injuries and guys transferring and a bunch of you know, opt-outs and things like that. So I, I'm just very open-minded on them this year. Maybe the four surprises me there somewhat, you know, but if you look at what, what Dennis uses to uh, – well, I don't know. Actually, I, th- I think I, I would maybe quibble with that a little bit. Uh, a three-rating court of Dennis' scale is, quote, pressure is mounting. That'd be Coach O. Yeah, I think that's a little more fair than start improving now or or else, I guess. So um, um, maybe a three and a half for Orgeron. Something like that. So you mentioned on the uh, Around the Clock Michigan episode with Sam Webb, um, what the, I'm not going to spoil the conclusion. Listen to the whole thing. It's on the feed. But uh, you wrapped it up with, hey, look, Vegas win total suggests that we're talking about eight and four. Is eight and four good enough? He gave... The perfect, the same answer that I just said about LSU, where he said, "Who are the four losses to, and what do they look like?" What What would your answer be? And again, like I always say with Harbaugh, the people within that university community and close to that program seem to have a better understanding than those outside the Michigan community and across the country who are always saying like Harbaugh can't get it done. They got to make a change. And it always seems like there's, there's more support for him. The closer you get to the decision makers. Do you think eight and four is, I mean, Chip, think about it though. Like what we, we, we can entertain the idea that, Hey, if they beat Ohio state and go eight and four Harbaugh is fine. In what world it can happen. Sure. But what is the likelihood that Michigan beats Ohio State, but is somehow bad enough to lose four games against this schedule that, those, that does not include Ohio State. Those two things don't connect. Possibly if you had a very injured team early in the year, 
And then they're like, all right, Harbaugh's done at the end of the year for sure. It just appears, but the university doesn't make an announcement. And then all of a sudden he finds a way to win a bunch of games down the stretch because the team is coming together and rallying for their coach and getting healthy and blah, 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 so blah. So you're talking but about the less miles here. Basically, yeah. Uh, but ultimately, I mean, eight and four, they gave him essentially a, a sham extension, right? That was how it worked out, it, it, it looks like. So um, I don't know. I, I I have to think eight and four is is gone, but again, how, how committed to, to winning at the highest level is Michigan? I don't know. So for the who those four are, I um, I was doing a, a piece for CBSSports.com this morning on year two coaches, and uh, if Mel Tucker is two and zero against Michigan, that that's going to be a very 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 significant. And uh, and to your point about Virginia Tech. I don't know if you saw this one. It was just, you know, some a Friday, July 9th little email from uh, from the Virginia Tech Athletic Department. Virginia Tech Athletics announces extensions for six head coaches. Wow, just going out and renewing everybody, right? Um, men's basketball, baseball, track and field, women's golf, men's tennis, women's tennis. No football in there, bud. Hmm. We just extended six coaches in our athletic d- department, and football was not one of them. Are those all? Are, wait, are, are those all spring sports? Uh, no, you've got winter sports for men's basketball, okay. but the rest of it is spring sports. So it's on. To your point, it's a little. I'm bit I'm trying more, to give them an out. I guess. Yeah, yeah, but. yeah, yeah. But it was it was just one of those things that's uh, similar to the way the beat writers heard the press conference was called, thought it was one thing. I I, I saw uh, announce extensions for six head coaches, and I I said, oh wow, is, is Fuente on this list? Oh no, Fuente's not on this list. <laughs> yeah, so we'll see. Uh, exactly. What is ahead? for Virginia Tech. All right, let's dive into the big old bag of mail. Reminder, if you want to get in on it, you can do so by leaving a five-star review. We're going to begin with uh, some reactions to our coach draft, uh, beginning this first one from Purple Haze. Love the podcast. Whenever I'm going out on a walk or need something to listen to, it's the first thing I'm hoping to find an episode I haven't listened to yet. Caught your coaching staff draft this morning and know it can be tough, well, impossible to make everyone happy. Nevertheless, was surprised in that that in the closing recap, it didn't sound as if anyone gave consideration to either Mickey Joseph or Corey Raymond at LSU. Joseph has been an excellent recruiter for LSU and players like Jefferson, Chase, and Butte, they're definitely getting production and growth out of their players. Isn't the objective of the staff not only to recruit good players, but get them to the NFL so future recruits see that with four wide receivers drafted in the past two years alone, plus Chark and Gage in 2018, Joseph seems to be bringing a lot to the table. Correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't Kirk drafted in 2018 before Damian Craig was hired as wide receiver coach at A&M, and isn't Kirk the last wide receiver out of A&M that's been drafted? Just saying. Finally, I won't go as long about Raymond. I might have only thought about DBU alone and producing players such as Adams, White, Williams, Jackson, Delpit, Matthew. Yes, he's been coaching DBs there that long. Along with current players, Stingley and Ricks, it would be a nice resume. And he also carries the title of recruiting coordinator at LSU. Not a bad coach to have backing up your coordinators. Well, so I I did not uh, have Joseph on my list. That's probably an oversight. I, I did have Corey Raymond on my list. I just preferred you know, the, the other guys. Um, ultimately, I think his argument about Damian Craig is, is true. Uh, Tom is on vacation, so I'm hoping he's really enjoying that. But when Tom gets back on here, I guess we'll have to, uh, you know, we'll have to have to have him defend that. But like, the thing is, when you only have so many slots and you only have so many guys, 
um, you know, it's really not a uh, like it. Somebody's going to get left out, and it, it's not as if these are the only good coaches in the country. There's a lot of them um, that are really good, right? I, I, I honestly, I think that these. These comments are are, are very justifiable. And I, yeah, and I think the picks are justifiable. Yeah, the uh, it, the fact, like, I'm, I hope listeners know that it, you know never underestimate what what we'll do for just like entertainment sake, or that for a draft <laughs> we'll do things just to make ourselves happy and make ourselves you know enjoyable. And Damian Craig is an entertaining coach. He's an enter- he was a player that we all know. You know he. Um, he has been on some iconic staffs and in parts of big moments. If, if you want to pick nits about Damian Craig, then uh, I understand. But also, uh, if you, I understand why Tom was attracted to it when scanning, like you mentioned, we have very limited spots. We have all of the position coaches across college football. Uh, I can see why that, that name might've been, uh, attractive, but here's this other one. Uh, this is from DB. Okay. Heartline is the no-brainer number one wild card coach, but as an Aggie fan, I am somewhat surprised that Craig was drafted. But this year will be very telling. Henson is a great... He's sub- not drafted for his coaching. Yes. Period. He's drafted because he's known as a good recruiter. No, Nobody out there is stumping for Damian Craig as a good receivers coach. Which is which seems to be what the LSU fan and now this Agreed. Texas A&M fan is... is Dialing up. Henson is a great selection, but if I had to select a wild card from AM staff, it would be Elijah Robinson. If you don't know the defensive line coach now, then you will after this year, especially after DeMarvin Leal and McKinley Jackson leading the charge. He's young, but I would consider him both the best recruiter and developer among Texas AM's position coaches. Love the pod. Keep up the great work. I mean, look, I I, I agree as far as he's done a really good job. AM's brought in a, a ton of talent along the defensive line, though. So, you know, yeah, you get some credit for developing it, but also the, the ingredients you're starting with there are are pretty good. Like that Elijah Robinson is an, another great pick. Um I we, we got some commenters that, that are that are pretty sharp. Like they're, they're pretty not dialed out, in. Yeah, like they're not throwing out stuff that's just absolute crazy town. You know, like they're they're not telling me, hey, this guy and this guy, four guys from our stash we picked and, and things like that. I think they did a pretty good job. There is a question floating around. We're about to move to a Kentucky question. I there there is one long question in the mail. About the Kentucky DB coach. Yes. <laughs> and look, I agree. You, it's another really good one. Yeah, they, they've done a great job there. If we had seven or eight drafters, those guys probably go. All right. This I will uh, say, like Kentucky does not recruit the best of the best players, and so I don't know what he can do on the biggest stage of recruiting. Isn't it funny you know, how like, that works? Oh, we beat both Alabama. Ways. I'm like, did you really? Or like, did this kid have a Bama offer at one point, but it was only committable for like an hour, and then you you beat it? Like, there is a difference between recruiting at that kind of top twenty, top fifteen level, and recruiting at that like top five level, where you're actually battling it out with the bigs for the best, of the best. All right. Uh, speaking of Kentucky, this is from Cats fan. Covered three fellas. Love the show, especially during the summer with the range of topics you all cover. It's the perfect podcast for mowing grass, and that is a compliment. Nice. I'm a lifelong Kentucky fan and in the small percentage of those who care more about football than basketball. I've loved Mark Stoops, and him paired with Vince Morrow has the program in a stable position going forward, I believe. I'm a realistic fan and will be happy with going 7-5 and five or 8-4 and four almost every year. My question is this, 
What potential job could you see Stoops leaving for if it becomes available? He makes good money at Kentucky, and the facilities now match those of other SEC schools while not having the pressure to all caps win like at Georgia or Florida. Would he be a candidate at a place like Michigan if it's open in two to three years? Is he in play to take over for Ferenc at for Ferenc at Iowa, his alma mater? Keep up the good work. Go Cats. So, first of all, I want to address that if I'm Mark Stoops, I'm not leaving. Right, Period. Mark Stoops has the best contract in college sports. It, it is incredible. Every time he wins seven games, he gets an automatic extension and raise on his deal. I don't know if people know this or not. Like, it is just... Chip, did you freeze? Okay, no, you're no, strong. no, 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 no. I'm all right. I, no, I, I did not freeze. Like, I, I did not know that. Seven yeah, wins is, is an automatic wins. trigger for an extra year and a bump. And if he, uh, if he makes, I believe, if he wins ten games, then I think he gets an automatic two-year extension and and a bump. And he's hit this in a lot of his years. So Stoops is signed for a, a, a pretty good long while now, uh, and he makes really good money. I believe he makes what does he make? Uh, 4.6 uh, last year. So, I mean, you're talking about a guy who uh, Kentucky has decided that, hey, basketball is our number one. We need something for people to pay attention to in the fall before basketball starts and uh, maybe in a little bit of spring football there. And we are very reasonable with our expectations. We are not one of these teams that thinks we need to be winning 9-10 games. If you do, awesome. We just would like to go to a bowl game more often than not. And by the way, that's not regular season wins. That's including a bowl win. So you can go six and six, get the bowl win, and, and get the extension if you're Mark Stoops. Like they know who they are. They hit. They set reasonable but still tough goals at times for him to hit. He actually is pretty good at hitting them. It's a great contract. I, I, I think it's it's a really smart deal for both parties because Kentucky gets what they want. Stoops gets a lot of security there. Um, and if it gets fired, they owe him seventy five percent of the entire deal. So it's it's a pretty good buyout number. Um, as far as jobs where he could fit, he's made his bones by uh, recruiting the Midwest a lot for Kentucky. Some of the state of Florida, those are spots where he's recruited you know, prior. Um, what schools would fit that? I could, yeah, Michigan recruits the Midwest. I don't know if Mark Stoops would be a great fit at Michigan. Like he's, he's that, kind of fiery, like you know what I'm saying? Like, like, yeah, culture fit. Right. Um, Iowa, I could certainly see it, but. You know, how much of a better job is Iowa than Kentucky? Is that like it's a step up, I think, no doubt, but is it an enormous step up? Is it a step up where you absolutely leave, or do they have to pay you a lot more money than Kentucky? Maybe what, that's part of what makes it a better job. How uh what how strong were the conversations or the connections with the Florida State job? I don't think very strong. And is that because it was un like he made it clear through back channels that he wasn't interested or that Florida state wasn't interested. I, I don't believe Florida state uh, was, was real interested there. Okay. Cause that, I mean, that was like one of the first ones. Everyone was trying to draw that line. And then yeah. it was, well, then it was the like, wait, is it Bob Stoops or Mark Stoops? Right. Remember there was like that right. side. So of it. FSU was interested in Bob Stoops. I didn't have anybody I trust over there. Tell me they, they were interested in Mark Stoops. Okay. Cause I was trying to use that as like my barometer, but if that wasn't, if, if, if it was not Mark Stoops saying no, if it was Florida State was was never really serious about going after him, then it it sort of resets things. I I don't think necessarily that his quality of life will be like the Iowa move 
seems like a sideways move. I think those two jobs are equal. Where Iowa's got better history, it's got probably, oh, it definitely, not probably, it definitely the has- the same tier, I guess. Yeah, same yeah. tier. It would be a lateral move that you do for sentiment because of your connections to Iowa football. Like, can you get to bigger bowl games more often at Iowa? Yes. Are you going to win the Big Ten? Most likely not. Are you going to win the SEC at Kentucky? No. Right? Like, it's just sort of one of those jobs. Also, Lexington as a college town is a pretty good place to live. Like, there are some college towns in the SEC, Columbia, Starkville, I would just not live in. Lexington? I'd live in Lexington. It's pretty nice. Nice. I have not been to Lexington, Kentucky. I would love to go. So I got I got to put a visit to uh, the big checkout line, Kroger Field, on my uh, on my to do <laughs> list at some point. All right, let's see. All right, speaking of this question, comes from Hokey John. John asks, "Love the pod. Always enjoy the well thought out content from Bud and Tom specifically. How many schools have been upgraded at head coach because their head coach was hired by another school? When?" When were they actually better off with the replacement than the original coach? For instance, Oregon, when Willie Taggart went to Florida State, so on and so forth. Um, does Urban Meyer count for Brian Day? <laughs> I, I I will admit that uh, I uh, I missed this question when Chip texted me the questions for the day. So this is just off totally off the top of my head. Uh, uh, well, the Urban Meyer of that moment, mid Zach Smith, like. Everything else going on around him, yes. I'll They're recruiting you. better than, I'll, than Urban Meyer did. They have lost fewer, let's call them WTF games, under day so far than I would say they lost under Meyer under, under the comparable period. Um, like we, we've not had that Iowa blows them out by by you know whatever that game was type or, moment. For, yeah, or uh, Purdue or, or the Purdue, right? right. Um, yeah, like I. This sounds going to sound crazy. We'll probably get a lot of comments if Coca clips this for YouTube, which I'm betting he will at this point. But I, I do think that they upgraded personally. The, um, the major one for me is at Wisconsin where Gary Anderson leaves and Paul Christ comes in. I mean, even yeah. Anderson had a 10 win season during his two years, but you could just tell that it's like, ah, this is not a good fit. And then you, you bring in the, the favored son of Wisconsin, you know, former Wisconsin football player, Madison native and, and he comes in and just sort of like restabilizes uh, pretty much everything across the board. Are, are we counting retirements? What would be the retirement? Did, uh, did Mark Rick retire at Miami? Yes. Mark Rick retired. So, yeah. I mean, obviously like, like, you know, first of all, our, our thoughts to, to, to Mark with, with what he's dealing with right now, just an awesome guy to talk to if you ever met him. Uh, but I think Manny Diaz has, they've been better under Manny than they were under Mark. Mm, I would agree with that. Um, do you think that Florida State is better with Mike Norvell than Willie Taggart? I do, yeah. So it's the Willie Taggart line. Oregon was better off after uh, Willie Taggart left and Florida State for the Florida State, though he was fired. Uh, it wasn't him taking another job, which was the, the example uh, that was given um, here. It was UC UCF did not get better from Scott Frost to Josh Heupel? Uh, no, they did not. Yeah. I was trying to um imagine like what the what the other moves were for coaches who have left. Mississippi State uh did not get better after Dan Mullen left for Florida. In fact, Joe Moorhead only made it two seasons before they decided to uh to move on from him. The I think that's 
the Willie Taggart line and then Wisconsin were the two that came to mind for me as the as the most seemingly the most obvious. Did uh looking here. Trying to trying to think about something real fast. Uh vamp for me just right quick. There's, did uh go ahead. Did Ole Miss get did Ole Miss get better after Tuberville left? Ole Miss post Tuberville. He left for the Auburn job. Is that pre-Auburn? Yeah. In, his last year at, at Ole Miss was 98. And who so, came in to replace him? Cutcliffe. Oh, yes. Yeah. So that, that's one. I'm yeah. just trying to think about. Yeah. That's a, that's a really good example. I, I don't know if I've, I've got that. What about Les Miles, Oklahoma State to Gundy? Eventually, yes. I can't say that you felt like that right away was the no, key. No, I, I agree. That just took a little bit of time before you really got to see the um, see things take off. Yeah, because Les Miles leaves Oklahoma State, goes to LSU. Yep, yep, yep. All right. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Here we go. Oh, coming up on the other side, how does a player who's seemingly just a three-star recruit, one of the hundreds of three-star recruits out there, how do they end up becoming one of the top players in all of college football? We'll dig into that and more next on May 23rd. I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? <laughs> Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not going to survive this. Evil, the final season. Streaming May 23rd, only on Paramount Plus. New CBS Sunday. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. When something is lost, everyone's looking for something. He finds it. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. How you survive, you make quick, smart decisions. If you never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. New Sunday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. This next question comes from BJ. BJ says, love the show, RIP Barton, but welcome Bud to put Bud in the spotlight. How do some low low profile recruits like a three-star nobody from California named Chris Olave end up being a top two receiver four years later? You've mentioned how in-depth and specific the recruiting process and discussion is. So what is the explanation for missing on these prospects? Hashtag go bucks. All right. Uh, so first of all, I really appreciate the question. RIP Barton. Um, a couple things. Number one, this is actually a good example um, of the process continuing to happen throughout the year. So Chris Olave was initially a, a three-star for us on 24 seven sports. Um, he fits into a couple different categories for me as far as guys who um, you know, maybe arrive a little bit later. Eventually, though, he did become a four-star on 24-7 sports. We had him as a 92 four-star and a player in our top 247, which means we think very highly of him. We, we think he's going to be a guy to get drafted. Um, he transferred to Mission Hills from, I believe, God, this is, I mean, this is what, 20? trying to think where Chris Olave played in 2016. I think it was Westlake. Okay. Um, He was not a great player there at his former school. Then he really emerged because Mission Hills had a quarterback named Jack Tuttle, 
who mm. was an Elite 11 kid. He ended up signing Indiana. with Utah. Oh. Yeah. Uh, well, initially with Utah. Okay. Uh, and then I think he transferred to, uh, I think he's transferred a couple of times, but he initially was a Utah kid. Um, look, Olave burst onto the scene there. Some coaches who were evaluating Jack Tuttle, which includes Ryan Day at the time, uh, saw Olave and, and offered him. His offer list kind of exploded there in, I think he got offered in like late October of his senior year. Uh, you know, we, like I've said before, you know, if you make your own betting lines, if you don't regress those lines to what the market has, you're going to get crushed because you have to acknowledge that there's information you don't have or that you need to take another look at. Um, same thing with, with the financial markets. You can love your model, but you need to regress your model to the market. In this case, our model is our rankings and the market is the marketplace of scholarship offers. Okay. If Ohio State all of a sudden comes in and offers a kid from California, who we have as a three-star, and some other big-time schools are starting to pick up on him as well, that merits another look. Maybe this kid is different now as a senior than he was as a junior. And for us, I wasn't here at the time, but it's pretty clear to me by looking at the rankings history that 24-7 took that other look. And they said, wait a second, this guy's better now as a senior than he was as a sophomore or junior. Part of that's probably because he has a better guy throwing in the ball, you know, in, in, in a, a you know, high four-star quarterback in Jack Tuttle, but like that's one when he gets drafted, we're, we're going to count that as a win because if you look at the 24-7 sports composite, he was a three-star. And of course, the composite is the blending of us and, and the other two services out there, Rivals and ESPN. Uh, they had him at number 399 overall, including our, our average. So if you take us out, he's probably you know not a top 75 receiver on the other two services aggregated. So, or, or excuse me, you know, the, the combined score of those. So we're pretty proud, I think, of our ranking on Olave. He's a good example of a player who continued to get better. Didn't I also I don't know I don't have access to his track times back then, but I'd be interested to know if, if he ran as a senior and, and, and what he ran, because we do care about that kind of stuff. Verified speed and numbers, it, it does matter to us. Um Olave ran a ten point eight hundred meter dash and long jumped twenty three feet and six inches. That'll work. Um I also think it's important to note that Olave has gotten better in college. You know, you, yeah. you talk about his, um, the way that he's developed, you know, throughout his high school career and the way that 24 seven sports and others updated his own recruiting profile. I mean, we're talking about somebody that really burst onto the scene first in 2019, you know, and even then he wasn't considered, you know, among the top wide receivers in college football. He wasn't considered among the, the, the top wide receivers, you know, maybe even in the Big Ten. In 2019, he, he ends up being a, a third-team all-conference selection. So I I think it's important to note that he has gone from being a big play threat within that Ohio State offense to being someone they can lean on uh, on a on a down-to-down basis. Obviously, still big time in terms of a big play threat, uh, but I, I tend to think we need to also give some credit to Chris Olave and all college football players that – it might take you some time before everything starts to come together. And so, yeah, as a senior here in college, he is going to be one of the top wide receivers in all of college football. Uh, but that doesn't mean necessarily that his four-star ranking was way off uh, when he eventually does end up being one of the top 32 picks in the upcoming NFL draft. Exactly. Uh, Chip, I think that's, that's a really good point by you. Like some of these guys are going to outperform their recruiting ranking. And some of <laughs> them will better. underperform. <laughs> yes. It's just, 
Yeah, right. Like you're allowed to get better. These, these strength coaches don't. The, these strength coaches don't make 700k at some schools. You know, for for not making their players better. You yeah. Know? By the way, shout out to Bud's uh, all Oklahoma drill team. Did you see number one pick Evan Neal doing that? Uh, the little split five inch split squat or uh, uh, excuse me, uh, like like uh, split jump. That was. Uh, hey man, there's a reason I took him number one overall. That that's I was pretty happy there. So the. The thing about those kinds of videos is I need I need more I need to get like a GA in the video like in the frame as well because we need it for the comparison cuz when he when he does the he explodes from a if you haven't seen the viral video it's Evan Neal 6 How about seven. a cardboard cutout of Saban? Yeah, just some, yeah, something just to be like, just reminder, because every time the video is shared, it's like this guy is 6'7", 330 pounds. And so when you see him doing this very flexible, exploding from a standing stance, twisting his body, splitting his legs, and balancing perfectly across two big boxes, you, it looks like something that is being done by somebody who's 6'2", 240. And you're like, wow, that guy's really athletic, except he's 100 pounds heavier and five inches taller. I mean, daggone. All right, one, yeah. more, uh, one more recruiting question. This is from Aaron. New listener to the podcast, definitely my favorite of the college football podcasts I've found. I love the hypotheticals and draft games you all play. Last year, Hawaii was number 125 in the FBS in recruiting. And I understand that there aren't many recruits on the island except five-star QBs that go to Oregon and Alabama, but you you would expect tropical paradise to be a nice recruiting pitch. Why aren't they at least near the middle of the group of five schools? All right. This one's actually pretty easy, but I, I, I'm glad, man, there are so many VODs I want to cut from today's show. Cause like, these are things we can, we can just reuse constantly. The reason why Hawaii doesn't recruit better is let's call it twofold. It may be threefold. Number one, it is very far away from the mainland. It is far away from, players' families and their parents and their friends and people who would want to come and, and see them. Uh, it's also like really far away for the kid to go just because like, what if you want to go home for the weekend? That's a, that's a super long flight at other schools, you know, in the off season, you may be able to go home for the weekend. It's just not, not th- something you can do from Hawaii. The facilities are terrible, oh. right? Like they, they are not competitive. Um, there's some stuff out there where you can find, like some people did some uh, some FOIA stuff with maintenance requests that long went unfilled. I'm sure some of those have been fixed now, uh, but like the facilities are, are not uh, competitive. They also, like, it's just not a, these kids, when they, when they go to a bigger school and they see nice buildings and history of success and things like that, they're not going to all of a sudden go pick Hawaii just because it's Hawaii. Hawaii, by the way, is also an expensive place to live. So if you are a recruit who does not come uh, from a lot of money, you may not be able to enjoy some of the things that you and I might enjoy, Chip, on vacation in Hawaii, right? Like it's not vacation all the time. Like it, it that is a, it's a much more difficult place to recruit to than you would think. And Hawaii is also extremely selective about who they bring in to their recruiting class uh, on official visits because they they have to be really careful here because you only get so many officials and they don't want to waste them on kids who are just trying to take vacations out there, essentially. They only want guys who are seriously considering them. Also, culturally, Hawaii is a different place. Uh, some kids are just not going to fit in to that culture, which is you know, pretty heavily Polynesian-influenced. That's what I got in Hawaii. Do they do they have to do it from like a resources standpoint? Because you talk about the number of offers, and I, I think that I remember 
like years ago, making a joke of being like, yeah, if I, I might know that I'm committed to Alabama, but I've got five visits. And so, you know what? I'm going to take one of them to Hawaii. Does Hawaii have like financial, like they, they can't literally cannot afford to be flying kids out that aren't going to go there. No, no. Well, first of all, the the finances are, are part of it, but it's also just, you have a limited number of visits that by rule you're allowed to bring in, bring in kids on and they don't want to waste those visits with kids who are just kind of Trying know, to casually strolling in there to take, yeah. Like, Hey, we're going to Hawaii. And then you know, on Hawaii's time, if you're actually interested in the school, it, it's different. I see. Um, yeah. The, the thing about going home is what makes the most sense to me because you're still talking about 18 to 22 year old young people. And, uh, and the idea that it would take, if you needed to be home quickly, the, the kind of hoops you would have to jump through, that's, that's a little bit much, and I understand why, uh, why that's a little bit more difficult of a draw. But that's Todd Graham's problem to figure out how to answer uh, to move up from number 125 on into the higher ranking in the recruiting rankings. He is Bud Elliott. You can follow him on Twitter at BudElliott3. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Bud, thank you very much. See you, Chip. It's the NFL offseason, but on Pick 6, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, the football season never stops. Host Will Brinson, John Breach, and Tyler Sullivan are joined by analysts like Brady Quinn, Leslie Deucible, Katie Mox, and R.J. White to keep you in the loop on everything happening around the league. Whether it's free agents signing with new teams, the all-important NFL draft, or schedule release day, Pick 6 has you covered. As the face of the league changes with every team move and player pickup this spring, Pick 6 is a must-listen. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and anywhere podcasts are found.